I'm John Torek. And I'm Danny Sullivan. And you're listening to Speaking of Design. Bringing you the stories of the engineers and architects who are transforming the world one project at a time. Today, we bring you another episode of a special podcast series on behavioral and mental health called Listen, Mental Health Matters. As part of this series, Brian Giebink, behavioral and mental health practice leader at HDR, visits some of the world's leading healthcare providers for candid conversations about the challenges they face and the opportunities to transform the patient and caregiver experience. I'm Brian Giebink, and I hope that by listening, the series helps us consider new perspectives in our quest to create transformational mental health facilities that improve the quality of life for individuals and families and promote a shared sense of community. And now, Brian's conversation with Tom Kozachinski, Chief Advancement Officer at Compass Health in Northwest Washington. Welcome, Tom. This is Brian Giebink. I'm the Behavioral Health Practice Leader at HDR. And with me today is Tom Kozachinski with Compass Health. He's here to share a little bit about his career and his history of Compass Health, but more importantly, what Compass Health is doing and what they're up to and how they're improving the lives of so many in their community where they're involved. So Tom, would you like to say a few words, introduce yourself? Sure, yeah, thanks Brian, and thanks so much for having me here. I'm really appreciative to take the opportunity to talk about what we're doing at Compass Health. So again, my name's Tom Kozachinski. I'm the Chief Advancement Officer at Compass Health. I oversee two distinct business lines, that being the marketing and communication side of the business, and then also the fundraising side. Been at the agency now for just a little bit over 10 years. So, have a long enough history to have seen some of the, the evolution of the agency, evolution of mental health care. So, I'm very, very pleased to be here with you today. Really happy to have you. So, do you want to tell me about a little bit how long you've worked with Compass Health and why you joined the organization? Yeah, absolutely. So, like I said, just a little bit over 10 years. As I mentioned, within the two business lines that I oversee, my education history has generally been in the fundraising sector. I did a few other things before coming to Compass Health. I worked in the arts for a little bit in higher education and social services. But what really drew me and what really draws a lot of people in this work is a really close personal connection to the mission. And that's certainly true for me, both with familial mental health issues and frankly, some of my own too, and understanding how challenging that is for folks who are of means and have access to then layer on top of it the fact that Compass Health serves predominantly individuals who are on Medicaid, many barriers to access to care, be that food insecurity, transportation, you know, you name it. There's the, the challenges are really compounded when you're living in that in that scenario. So I have a very, very close, deep connection to the mission. I live in the community where Compass Health provides services. That's really important to me too. For the record, where we are located and where we operate is in Northwest Washington north of Seattle, five counties primarily, Snohomish, Skagit, Whatcom Island, and San Juan County. About how far is that from downtown Seattle? So our uh, headquarters is in Everett, Washington, so approximately 20 miles north. Everett's probably most known for Boeing, but we don't serve King County where Seattle's located, so we start in the next county north and go all the way up to the Canadian border. So can you tell me a little bit more about Compass Health? What is it and, and what do you do there specifically? We are one of the state's largest mental health providers, primarily serving on Medicaid. We serve approximately 12,000 individuals in our five-county region. 
really span, as far as geography is concerned, both urban and very rural environments. In fact, we call some of those some of those offices are located in San Juan County, which is island-based frontier. So we have both a wide geographic reach and a good mix between urban and rural. Services range anything from general outpatient treatment all the way into inpatient and voluntary treatment. Serve both adults, older adults, youth, family, and children, specialized programs that, you know, that really augment and serve our community to the fullest possible capabilities. So I'm talking things like camp programs for kids that are specialized for our youth, close alignment with law enforcement through partnerships. So a large organization, both in scope and size. I think we're now over 700 FTE, approximately $72 million budget, 20 plus sites in those five counties. That's really big. And you're, you're able to, to manage all of that pretty well. I think just like any large healthcare organizations, there are, of course, challenges and some of those we can talk about. But I think from the perspective of our impact on the clients that we serve, I think we do the best job that we could possibly do and, and really uphold the dignity and respect of those that we're serving. That's so. great. That's really great. And why did behavioral healthcare become your calling? Why, why do you do this work and what, what drives you personally? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mentioned a little bit on the personal side. I think also though, in the 10 years that I've been at Compass Health, there's been so much change and it seems to be accelerating in pace. And I'm framing that in a positive sense. You know, there's just, there's so much that needs to be done, both practically speaking from a service delivery model and the ways that we need to be advocating for for change within the system that then ultimately helps the people that we serve. And then from a physical plant and our buildings, there is a very quick shift that needs to happen to making sure that we're providing the facilities that are conducive to care. For a lot of our history, it's been anything that we can get to make by, and, and that has worked for a long time. I mean, we're a 120-year-old organization. But if we're going to be viewed as, you know, primarily as a healthcare agency, really partnering with other healthcare partners, then we need the facilities that reflect that same level of care, level of compassion, dignity, and respect to the people that we serve, their families, and then also to the people that work for us. Frankly, I could go do the type of work I'm doing at any nonprofit, any university, any hospital. I mean, there's someone like me at all those places, and I could probably just go do that work somewhere else, but I do it at Compass because I see such a bright future for the agency and for the field in general. So many organizations have a series of key moments that define who they become and why they do what they do. What was the moment or moments that shaped Compass Health into what it is today? Well, there's a few. As I mentioned, a 120 years old organization, just out of interest for folks who are listening. So we actually first started as an orphanage here in the Pacific Northwest serving youth whose families, particularly fathers at that time, were killed offshore fishing. You know, so kind of an interesting piece of history. The reason I mention that is because it's important to note that serving youth and families has been really a kind of a core tenant of Compass Health and continues to be. But as far as how we've gone to where we are now, I think you can point to a few key things. So the Community Mental Health Act of 1963 signed by President John F. Kennedy, really paved the path for an organization like Compass to really start the mental health aspect of, of our work. So moving away from the orphanage piece of our history, which I just talked about, but because that led to a pretty large deinstitutionalization of folks, we had to provide services that they otherwise would have received in the institutionalized setting in the community. So that is really where Compass Health's mental health 
piece starts. Now, through that, uh, Compass Health has not always been as large as we are. That has happened through a number of mergers and acquisitions to really increase our scope and scale to be able to provide the full continuum of care. But our most recent merger and acquisition was just in 2013 with with Whatcom County, which added our fifth county to our service area. So it's a big part of our history. It's allowed us to provide a full scope in the continuum of care and not being too healthy or too sick to leave Compass Health. And that's true within the counties. It's also true within the region because we now have a scope and scale that allows us to do that and frankly allows us to negotiate terms with our payers that are favorable or at least moving towards favorable. I'm not going to at all imply that they're where they need to be, but it gives us that ability. I think the third thing I'd mention is the Affordable Care Act, where it opened a huge amount of individuals um, who previously were not Medicaid eligible to being a Medicaid eligible. So for a long time of our history, we knew there were community members out there who needed our service, but they were frankly unfunded. And it's really hard. I think most folks in the healthcare setting will agree that it's hard to find ways to provide services to completely unfunded folks. And then the last thing I'll I'll mention as far as your question's concerned, I think now is the focus on providing facilities that really are tailor-made to the type of work that we do, that are future-focused, state-of-the-art for the care that we're providing, and allowing those spaces to communicate the dignity and respect to the folks that are receiving services. Again, I need to mention that the overwhelming majority of the people we serve have all sorts of life circumstances that create barriers to entry. So we want them to come to a space that, that feels good for them and their family. And then there is a significant workforce shortage crisis right now, particularly in our field. And it's hard to recruit individuals are ready for this very challenging work when they have an office space that doesn't make them feel respected and valued themselves, right? So I think that that this is a pivotal moment right now that we're in showing the community that we can do that. Just a quick note, because some folks may be wondering, oh, well, why haven't you been doing that already? In our field, 80 to 82 cents of every dollar of our budget goes to hiring and retention. And that leaves a very, very small margin for massive capital projects like the one we're gonna talk about. 82 cents per dollar is, is a lot to spend on, on that staffing and retention. How, how do you afford the capital expenditure? I think that's that's a really interesting conversation to have. So next question we wanted to ask, so what, what are you striving to provide for the people of the communities that Compass Health serves and what do they need most right now? Yeah, I think that's a timely question and there's a few things that come to mind. I'm sure nationwide you've heard that there's a shortage of beds quote unquote beds for folks in mental health crisis. So part of what this facility will do is there will be 32 beds in that facility. 16 of them are in our evaluation and treatment facility. So those are beds for involuntary treatment. We're actually adding to the 16 we already have in the community. And then there's also a 16 bed crisis triage facility that will be in this building. That is a voluntary program, of course, with rules and stipulations when you're there. But the reason I mentioned those two, you know, from the beginning of this conversation is that those really integrate most with the sort of social and healthcare fabric in the community. I think a lot of folks think, and rightly so in some situations, that the emergency room at your local hospital is a de facto mental health crisis center, which actually it shouldn't be. Certainly there are people who are in mental health crisis that have a serious health issue that needs to be addressed, but the ER is not 
an efficient use of resources for a lot of reasons. And, you know, hospitals should be focusing on what the ER is really intended to do. Plus, a lot of the times those uh, individuals are interacting with our law enforcement and first responders. Again, is that the most efficient way of, of providing services by tying up a police officer or a medic uh, that needs to sit there in the ER until someone's admitted? I think we can probably agree that's, that's probably not the case. And so I think for our community, particularly because this facility is serving the most intensive side of our spectrum of needs, I think that really allows us to provide those services through partnership, ensuring that we're supporting the healthcare system, supporting the first responders and other community partners with those services that they need and doing so in a, in a really efficient financial model, right? Because I think, I think we can, and here located in Seattle, and I'm sure this is the case in most urban settings, I mean, the need is out there. It's pretty, it's pretty visual and, and obvious. And so I think, I think that's probably what I would key in most as far as what this facility and what Compass Health is really focused on is, is providing those, making sure that those services are available community-wide. So it's really great. And I think that's a, might be a good segue into the next question. What do you do really well? And what do you think you're doing differently than your peers? Yeah, I think, as I mentioned, particularly where we're located, partnerships are a huge part of what we do in our service model. I think most folks have identified that replicating what Compass Health does is pretty complicated and challenging. And likewise, replicating what, let's say, I'll use an actual partner like the library system. We're not going to become a library and a mental health partner, and they don't want to necessarily be serving mental health folks, but there's crossover in in both those areas. And so I think for us, what we've done really well is um, listen to the needs of our other partners in the agency, find ways where we can utilize our core competencies in mental health and provide services to, to our other nonprofit partners. That's something we do regularly, either through actual physical co-location or we have a Compass Health clinical staff person on site at another nonprofit, or we provide outreach programs where we have regular presence in the community where our clients and our people are interacting in other ways within their life. So the library is an actual example. For instance, in Bellingham, through one of our programs, we have a regular weekly presence at the library system. So when folks naturally come in and need some sort of mental health support, they know that Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm I'm making that schedule up, but we have a Compass Health person there. And then I think for us, really, the first responder aspect of healthcare, particularly how our police departments interact with individuals in mental health crisis out in the public, we have multiple partnerships with various police departments throughout our region where we're sending out a Compass Health outside police officer to make sure that when they're interacting with folks that need mental health intervention, the police department has that capability. Or if there's issues where you need police presence, and sometimes that line is pretty fine, we've got the police officer there as well. And those are very well received, very cooperative and something that we hope is we can uphold as a model. I think also I want to mention that, and I I briefly touched on this when we were talking kind of about about our region. I think the other thing we really need to do is make sure that we're advocating for systems changes. And so Compass Health is part of a group called Forefront Contributor here in Washington State, made up of three other like organizations essentially, but in different parts of the state on the other side of the mountains as well. So those three organizations serve between 65 and 70% of all the folks on Medicaid that need mental health services. And one of the things that we're really advocating for is a more sustainable funding model, particularly the Certified Community Behavioral Health Center model, CCBHC. 
which really would drastically, I think, change that 80 to 82 cent dollar figure that I mentioned and really allow us to do what we're doing more efficiently. So, You mentioned sort of your involvement with the police, and this is a kind of a tangent here from one of the questions, but you're sure. engaged with the police and bringing a clinician along. How did Compass Health work with law enforcement to allow that to happen? Did law enforcement come to Compass Health and say, hey, we, we really need your support? Or did Compass Health advocate for the support? Or was, is it a community initiative in mm-hmm. general? In our experience, it's mainly been the first responders coming to us. I think in Washington State particularly, there's been a real focus on providing law enforcement first responders the training to be um, more equipped to work with individuals that are in mental health crisis, substance use disorder, and homelessness, and uh, so on and so forth. And I think we've done a really good job of that. But I think there is a realization also that police officers are not social workers, nor should they be, frankly. They have a job to complete, and that's primarily public safety. But I think there was a realization that just as part of their normal operations and the fact particularly that the community member, let's just say just the normal layperson, when there's a problem, their initial reaction is to just call 911 for better or worse. And that's that's what's, what is accessible to them. So I think the police figured out that considering that's gonna continue happening, they probably should equip themselves with tools to more effectively serve those community members. And I think We've also then benefited from being with police and also understanding what they're experiencing on a daily basis. And I really want to be careful because I've mentioned a couple of times, I don't want to conflate mental health, homelessness, and substance use disorder. Certainly there's individuals that span all three of those. There are some people that only have one or two, but I think predominantly most folks and particularly media just lump all three together. I want to be clear that I'm not conflating those three things, but certainly for most people who just kind of experience this out in the ether, that's that's what they what they're focused on. And so back to the police and first responder piece of this puzzle, you know, that's what they're responding to from the community standpoint. The last thing I'll say is it's not just police. We also have partnerships with EMS, particularly in Linwood, funded through the Verdant Health Commission. It's a public hospital district. They're fantastic to work with. But what the fire department was noticing was they had frequent flyer 911 callers, particularly folks who are homebound. The only contact they would have, these were folks with pretty persistent severe mental health issues. Their only contact with other people was just to call 911. And so they said, huh, well, we're, you know, we're required by law to go every day, but is this, is this really the best use of resources? This person's not actually getting better. And so we now have a co-located clinical staff person so when they know that they're going to this one person's house all the time, they can actually start to get them on the path of some sort of recovery. So that's really great. It's such an important initiative to have it here and but anywhere. Yeah, as that engagement with law enforcement in the EMS. So what roadblocks do you typically face, and how have you been able to pivot to move behavioral health initiatives forward? One of the major roadblocks for Compass Health and the people we serve is the stigma associated with. Uh, mental health treatment. Now, I think that's changed significantly in the last uh, few years. I think I don't really like to talk about the pandemic because I, I, I feel like that's sort of a crutch for a lot of things. But I can I can say that the pandemic really shone a light on mental health in general, even if you like, didn't think you had mental health issues or, you know, didn't know a lot of people, although I, I find that's a rarity these days. If you don't know a single person in your life that doesn't deal with mental health issues. But I think that really shone a light on mental health. So 
I think part of that is that the stigma is predominantly getting better. I will also mention, as I said before, is that the conflation of those three issues, homelessness, substance use, and mental health, is pretty common. I will say, for instance, and this is a real statistic, that 95% of the people that Compass Health serves are not homeless. They're on Medicaid, so you know they're living below the poverty line. But a lot of these folks are employed and have the places of their own. They just happen to be living with a mental health issue. And I mentioned the workforce shortage crisis is substantial. The vacancy rate right now across all staff members is 19%. The annual turnover rate is 31%. You know, it takes more than eight months on average to fill a clinical um, position. And so while that is a vacant position, we're either having to increase caseloads across the board or, you know, wait times are long. I mean, it's it's pretty critical. And then so what that then goes back to is how do we find a, a funding model that's more sustainable? Because quite candidly, we do everything we possibly can to pay people the most that we can. But we, there are other areas in the healthcare sector where our folks can go work for more money. And we're doing everything we possibly can in the current situation to rectify that situation. But then back to the CCBHC funding model, advocating strongly for that transition. So you know, we have the ability to be paid appropriately for the work that we do. You're doing a lot of really good work to move your initiatives forward, and I know that's hard. Many organizations have unique strategies they implement to improve access and follow up with behavioral health patients. Would you share some that you found to be the most effective? Any lessons learned that you can share with other organizations so that they can learn from your experiences? When the pandemic started and we really were concerned about how we're going to continue care for our folks when there's all sorts of restrictions. And one of the things that we were able to implement very quickly that has really changed, I think, our business model for the better is, is telehealth. We were fortunate enough to work with a company called ITS. Before the pandemic started, we were testing out various telehealth models. Well, when we knew what was actually had the full scope of what was going on, we immediately implemented their product as quickly as we could. And were able to take advantage of, it was a little bit of building the plane as we were flying it, but it was what saved us, frankly, both from the financial aspect and also saved the clients that required our care. Now, I mentioned that because now we have the ability to be serving folks via telehealth in really interesting ways that provide them access to care and give us certain efficiencies. So I'll use a real example. Whatcom County, our northernmost county before you get into British Columbia, Bellingham is the major urban center, but then the rest of the county is very rural. And we have partnerships with every single school district within Whatcom County to provide mental health services to, to kids that qualify. Well, for a long time, we had to get someone from our Bellingham office to drive clear across the county to maybe go do a one-hour visit with a client. Maybe that client has something come up and they don't show up, and then our person has to drive back, so on and so forth. Now, on top of that, if we needed a prescriber, which are hard to come by, we had to figure that whole thing out. Well, through a fantastic grant through the United Way of Whatcom County, we were able to purchase telehealth stations for every single school and in those rural counties. They're there permanently. And now we're able to serve those folks, those from the Bellingham office through telehealth and completely cutting out the commute, making sure that we've got the best possible person at the office serving that client. So that's really something that has stuck with us. And I think it's gonna evolve, like we're not gonna be doing it in the same capacity, but we had a huge learning opportunity. And then I think for, 
for improving access, really, the facility, the one that's being constructed in downtown Everett, 72,000 square feet. The current facility is still there. It's actually, as we speak, in abatement mode. Um, it's a full city block. Uh, there's going to be significant abatement about two months or so to get rid of it. But the reason I bring it up is because it is a perfect example of a facility that was gifted to us. We're very thankful for it. There's a lot of healing and care that was provided in that facility. But frankly, if you were to go into it, you'd be like, oh my gosh, like this is not what I was expecting, right? From an agency this big. And we don't make any excuses about it because of all the reasons I just told you about the issues that we have that are out of our control in a lot of ways around financing. But we are now in the position of tearing that building down and constructing from ground up a facility that's tailor-made to the services that the community needs, particularly around some of these involuntary treatment options and some of the crisis centers. Those really need to be constructed in a way that both provide the care that they need and the safety for our staff, especially when we're working with folks who, who are on the higher end of acuity. So just super excited about that facility. Again, 72,000 square feet, $65 million for total construction costs, a variety of sources, federal, state, local. There's a private philanthropic piece of it. So there's a capital campaign that I'm mentioning that because my team's in, uh, in charge of raising that as $14 million of the total. And so I think I think that's going to completely change both the community's perception of the care, but also allow us to actually provide care in a, in a facility that allows us to do that for the benefit of the client. We've been doing some digging recently, and we understand that the federal funding for telehealth services that was put in place because of, primarily because of the pandemic, is set to end at the, I believe, at the end of 2024. Mm -hmm. um, is that something that you've been thinking about, and how is that going to impact telehealth care in the long term? We're aware of the fact that, that there's some changes happening and some have actually already happened. If I'm not mistaken, I think for a long time that using just telephonic services, like literally a telephone that was HIPAA compliant was a billable service during the throes of the pandemic when we were just trying to get services to people. I know that has gone away. The great thing about working with a company like ITS, though, is that it's not just a telehealth company from just using a Zoom application in a different way. They've actually created a physical machine that's completely telehealth compliant. It's We call it the robot because it actually is that. It's a proprietary machine that, that can be set up that is not only HIPAA compliant, it's low bandwidth compliant. So if you're in areas that are rural and have cell phone issues or other internet access issues, which believe it or not, is an actual problem still in parts of, of Western Washington where we're serving folks. For instance, in some of our rural communities, particularly San Juan County, and if you are on the other end of the country, just imagine a entire county, entire community that's only accessible by boat, be that private or ferry, and I guess plane. Not only is, are they only accessible, there's multiple islands within that community that all um, have some sort of services that we need to provide. So if we have a client that needs to go quite literally from one island to another just to get to our office and they miss the ferry boat or miss whatever ride they're gonna get over there. Telehealth may be an option for them to still get served that day, also an option for us to hopefully have a billable service. But when you start talking about the ferry system and all that and some of these rural communities, that's another example in addition to like the school systems in Whatcom County where we can still be providing a service even though there is a a perceived access to care barrier, right? So that's something that was not possible before telehealth was really 
widely implemented. I think that the concerns about that type of service being not funded anymore are pretty low. Plus, back to Forefront Contributor and Washington State and the advocacy that we do, you know, we've been able to be in front of some of the decisions that would have, they're well-intentioned, but would have been a, a, an issue for Compass Health. We've been able to show some perspective about kind of how our clients have been positively impacted and what may happen if we remove that funding. The last thing I'll say, by the way, is that telehealth doesn't work for some people. And both from a clinical and service delivery model, you're not going to provide telehealth in settings where you, for instance, need to be providing injections or delivering medicine or someone's in crisis. Like, that's not what I'm implying is like, oh, then everyone just goes on telehealth. But for, on the flip side of that, we found that telehealth, particularly with our younger clients, teenagers, they prefer doing telehealth because they're so accustomed to being in front of a screen, not making a value statement on that, but, but they're more likely to be engaged and more likely to come to an appointment if it's virtual, as silly as that sounds, right? But that's been our experience with that. So. One of the other things there, integration of primary care and mental health care is, is very important. Is that something that Compass Health is involved with in any way? Great question. And this uh, goes back to our commitment to whole person health care. So one of the ways that we describe Compass Health is for our folks who are primarily their main uh, health care concern is mental health. We are really, I think this is really true, considered their, their health care home, right? This is where they have the most interactions with the healthcare system it would be through Compass. So we understand also that comorbidity and folks that we're serving, for the record, by the way, folks that Compass Health serves have approximately a 20% reduced life expectancy rate from the general public. A lot of that has to do with the fact that there are physical healthcare issues layered on top of that. So I think ultimately the future of Compass Health will be to co-locate physical healthcare. I'm not, I'm not, and we're not sure yet if does that mean that Compass Health then staffs up on the medical side? Do we work with some partners within the community? For the record, we have experience doing this. Molina Healthcare Washington, in Washington State, one of our managed care organizations, fantastic partner. They're also a payer <laughs> of Compass Health Services. For a while, they had an actual, in the building that we're about to tear down in Everett, by the way, had a funding available to them to open a primary healthcare clinic. So within one building, we had Compass Health serving the mental health needs. We had a pharmacy through General Healthcare, which will be in the building again, again, another fantastic partner. So there's pharmacy services tailored to mental health, individuals with mental health issues, and then Molina Healthcare. So some of these folks that we serve could come and do everything in one area and leave. And it was hugely successful and was and ran up until the funding that the state had provided for that model ran out. And then so the question is when we provide that facility in the, or that opportunity in the third and final phase of the capital redevelopment, which is not the one I've referenced, that's gonna be the second half of our city block, it is slated to have a primary care component. And really the question is gonna be how successful is CCBHC implementation do we have the funding available to, you know, to consider this as a reality? And then do we work with a partner in the community or do we try to do it on our own? And so I think it's a really timely question. And it really, everything I say always has to go back to the people that we serve. As I mentioned, if we're seeing these folks on a regular basis and they have another physical health care issue that's going unaddressed, we need to figure out what our role is in that coordination. I will say we do a very good job of that already, and we integrate with our healthcare partners. The issue, though, is 
you know, if someone doesn't have reliable transportation, what's the likelihood that they're going to go from point A to point B after their appointment? And that's, I think, what people need to keep in mind that's a little bit different than the commercial healthcare market is that you can just assume that folks have that ability and you, you can't make that assumption with the folks that we serve. So, uh, How do you measure success with Encompass Health? I think for us, implementing models of care that are research-based, evidence-based, I think is is a huge part of that. We're really big on ensuring that we are providing services that have a track record of, of success. So that's a big part of it. I mentioned, I think briefly, that we don't want someone to ever be too sick or too healthy to leave Compass. And what I mean by that is we really pride ourselves on our continuum of care. And so when you enter services, if you are getting better, we want to make sure that there's a step down option for you at Compass. And also if you're getting sicker or worse, however you want to define that, we want to make sure there's a step up model for you. We're doing everything we can to keep people out of the state hospital because there's research that once you remove someone from their community where they have community supports, it becomes a more dire situation than it would be. So I think if we can provide people the services that they need and can do that within our continuum of care, that's fantastic. And of course, we ultimately want folks to get better enough that they don't need Compass services, but there are folks that we've served for their whole lives, and that's just part of what we do. I think also back to the partnerships and what we want to do with the community, integrating with other healthcare systems. So we're providing services that allow them to focus on what they do really well, allow us to focus on what we do really well. That success is is measured by both the client outcomes and then also the financial efficiencies and as everyone using their resources to their best ability. I think that that's a really big part of what we define as success at Compass. So, What's next for Compass Health? I'll say it again, CCBHC funding and ensuring that we move away from this very, very, very complicated system of reimbursements. Just as reference point, we've got five different insurers, managed care organizations with different payment models, sometimes for the same services. It's very complicated. We've done a very good job of negotiating favorable contracts, but again, it's still not on on par. And for some listeners who are familiar with the federally qualified health centers, FQHCs, CCBHC is essentially a similar model for the mental health side. So that's a big part of it. I think for us also being a thought leader and doing stuff like what we're doing today and talking about this and really getting the mission and work of Compass Health and other like organizations out there so folks can really understand what we do and some of the barriers. And also I think having conversations like this reduces the stigma associated with folks with mental health issues. So I'm really thankful for this for this today. Uh, so I can talk about that a little bit. And without question to the facilities piece and what's probably interesting to a lot of the folks listening is providing those facilities that are conducive to care. I will say that from a, a learning perspective, I'm not aware of any facility of a type of organization like Compass anywhere else in the state. So I think we've learned a lot (laughs) in the time that we've been doing this. It's again, hugely complicated, this um, spaghetti mix of funding, different timelines. You're in the business, you know how complicated it is to get 
medical facilities constructed and built. And then on top of that, you know, we've got different funding streams coming in at different times. So I'm hopeful that what we're going through can be a model for other agencies that want to go through this type of process. I know that there are other mental health providers around the state and certainly around the country that also have facilities that don't really meet their needs. And it's hard to visualize it without actually being in it, but you can go on our website, compasshealth.org, and look at all the renderings and, and see what we're planning for the facility itself. That is the most immediate project that is going to really change the face of Compass Health and serve our clients better. So it's fantastic. We could talk about this all day. I love listening to you and, and your story. And that's so nice to listen to Really, really great job. Thank uh, you. I appreciate is- it. For more information on our Listen Mental Health Matters series, please visit hdrinc.com listen. There you'll find more on HDR's approach to behavioral and mental health design, meet our team, and see samples of our work. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate us or leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.